Fay. So it's about halfway through chief year now, and I'm so excited to be an MFM, but I'm already forgetting how to do gynecology. Oh my gosh, Nick. You can't forget how to do gynecology because you haven't been GYN clinic chief yet. I know, but still, like, how am I going to keep track of all of these things? Like, you know, when do I get that ultrasound or what's the endometrial thickness that I need to be aware of? Like, I'm overwhelmed. Luckily for you, the OBG project has up-to-date guidelines for all of these things that you can make sure you have on your own personal bookshelf with your subscription of OBG First that I know you got for free because you're a fourth-year resident. Um, So you can go ahead and continue to be up-to-date on all of those things if you're up-to-date on all your readings on the OBG project. Phew. All right. Well, I'll be able to check that out, and you can check it out too. Head on over to our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. Check out the link in the sidebar and you too can get OBG first for absolutely free as a chief resident. Welcome back, guys. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. Coffee. Today's episode is going to be on recurrent pregnancy loss. Our learning objectives for today is to, one, define recurrent pregnancy loss. We're also going to learn about the possible causes of recurrent pregnancy loss, or RPL, and we'll also discuss the initial workup of RPL. The readings for today will be on the Evaluation and Treatment of Recurrent Pregnancy Loss, a Committee Opinion, from the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, published in 2012. So, Nick, what is recurrent pregnancy loss? You should recall that clinically recognized pregnancy loss, meaning you have a positive pregnancy test and then it's a negative pregnancy test after that, is really common. This happens in about 15 to 25% of recognized pregnancies. And a majority of these losses occur before 10 weeks of gestation. Recurrent pregnancy loss is defined by ASRM as two or more failed clinical pregnancies, though ideally a threshold of three or more losses should be used for epidemiologic studies, while clinical evaluation can proceed after two first trimester pregnancy losses. It's estimated that less than 5% of women will have two consecutive miscarriages, and only 1% of women overall will have three or more miscarriages. The good news about recurrent pregnancy loss is that Even for women who have multiple, multiple miscarriages, the success rate of live birth is still very high. Even for women who have six or more recurrent miscarriages, the rate of live birth ultimately is somewhere around 60% 10 years out from their first consultation with an infertility specialist. So again, most of the time, RPL can be worked up, identified, and treated appropriately. Faye, why does recurrent pregnancy loss happen? So there are a lot of things that can cause recurrent pregnancy loss. And so we'll cover some of the more um, pertinent ones, and we'll go from most likely to less likely. So first, let's talk about genetics. Basically, abnormalities in chromosome number or structure account for at least 50% of early pregnancy losses. We know that in couples who have recurrent pregnancy loss, chromosomal rearrangements occur in 3 to 5% of these couples as compared to 0.7% in the general population. And we also know that the risk of aneuploidy does increase as the number of previous miscarriages increase. Another cause is antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, and this occurs in 5 to 15% of patients who have recurrent pregnancy loss. What about some other causes, Nick? 
So there can also be structural or anatomic causes. One of these, again, is in the uterus itself. So congenital uterine abnormalities are present in up to 10 to 15% of women who have recurrent pregnancy loss versus 7% of women otherwise. Things like septate uterus um, or a bicornuate uterus, those types of things can lead to RPL. Fibroids or endometrial polyps are also common causes of recurrent pregnancy loss that are structural. Adhesions are also a rarer cause, think Asherman syndrome. And then finally, cervical insufficiency. But again, cervical insufficiency generally is causing pregnancy loss in the second trimester rather than the first trimester. So debatable a little bit as to whether that's truly a cause of RPL. Um, there are also hormonal or metabolic causes of pregnancy loss. Poorly controlled diabetes is one of these. It can be associated with both early and late pregnancy loss. Several studies have linked high hemoglobin A1C values in early pregnancy, meaning greater than 8%, to an increased frequency of both congenital malformation as well as miscarriages. Patients with PCOS similarly can have high rates of recurrent pregnancy loss. The mechanism behind this is kind of unclear, but the miscarriage rate in this population is as high as 20 to 40%. Thyroid disease is another common culprit, and some studies have reported an increased rate of fetal loss in women with high serum thyroid antibody concentrations like you might find in Graves' disease. And this is also related to unexplained infertility and implantation failure thyroid dysfunction. Finally, another metabolic cause is hyperprolactinemia. Uh, hyperprolactinemia can be associated with recurrent pregnancy loss through alterations in the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. Faye, there's a couple more that we got to talk about. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're going to talk about a couple more that are less common. So one is thrombophilia, and there have been associations between hereditary thrombophilia with fetal loss, um, but... Uh, in prospective cohort studies, um, they have not shown this, so really just have been observed. There's also some question of potential psychological factors that could lead to recurrent pregnancy loss. Interestingly, there was a trial that looked at a cohort of couples who have had a previous history of recurrent pregnancy loss um, of three or more consecutive pregnancy losses and no other identifiable etiology. And the um, cohorts of couples were divided into a standard group um, where they were given standard ultrasound treatment and standard uh, follow-up with OBGYNs. And another group was in the tender loving care group or the TLC group. And these uh, couples received psychological support with weekly medical and ultrasonographic uh, exams and instructions to avoid things like heavy work, travel, and sexual intercourse. Interestingly, there was a 36% live birth rate in the control group compared to an 85% live birth rate in the TLC group. Huh. Um, which is pretty compelling data if you think about it, but uh, we should probably take a step back and interpret this data with caution because, first of all, the groups were not randomized. Hmm. But it does suggest that maybe there is some psychologic cause of recurrent pregnancy loss. Other things that we can think about are things like personal habits. So there's really an unclear association between recurrent pregnancy loss and obesity, smoking, alcohol use, and caffeine consumption. And some studies have, have suggested that there may be a dose-dependent factor of these things. So if you are a very heavy smoker with uh, alcohol use, you know, you may have a higher risk of recurrent pregnancy loss. So unfortunately, about 50 to 75% of couples with RPL have no explanation for the recurrent pregnancy loss. I know we talked about things that would cause recurrent pregnancy loss, Nick, but I think we should also touch on a few things that have been suggested to cause RPL, but actually don't. 
Absolutely. Um, and with caution, some of these things may even still be controversial depending on who you talk to. So one of the things that has been suggested to cause recurrent pregnancy loss is a so-called luteal phase defect, meaning that there's some defect in the function of the corpus luteum in producing progesterone until it's handed off to the developing embryo. It's really controversial as to whether this defect actually exists. A 2015 committee opinion by ASRM stated that there was no reproducible, pathophysiologically relevant, or clinically practical standard to diagnose a luteal phase defect and to distinguish fertile from infertile women by this standard. So at least as of now, this is not felt strongly to be a thing, but you may still find some advocates of the luteal phase defect. Male factor Recurrent pregnancy loss is also a controversial one. There are no standard semen parameters that appear to be predictive of recurrent pregnancy loss, and there's a lot of contradictory data regarding a causal effect between pregnancy loss and fragmentation of sperm DNA in IVF cycles. But routine testing is not indicated for semen analyses for male factor. And then finally, the last thing that doesn't seem to cause recurrent pregnancy loss are infectious causes. There doesn't seem to be an infectious source that's known to cause recurrent pregnancy loss, but infections like listeria, toxoplasmosis, CMV can cause sporadic pregnancy loss. Um, but again, there's not really like additional testing or things that we would do to prevent that from happening in a future pregnancy. Right. Faye, now that we've talked about the things that do and don't cause recurrent pregnancy loss, we got to start thinking about evaluations now. So where do we go? How do we start? Yeah, so we can think about evaluation along with some of the more common causes of recurrent pregnancy loss. So looking at genetics, one thing that you can do is evaluate for balanced reciprocal translocations because you are assuming that the couple that comes to you with recurrent pregnancy loss look normal to you and presumably seem to have a normal karyotype. So you can get a karyotype of both partners and see if they either of them have a balanced reciprocal translocation. And it is also important to know that if um, a structural genetic factor is identified, that the couple should be referred to genetic counseling. Um, what about antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, Nick? I feel like this is something that we hear a lot about. Yep, and it is one of those things that seems to be one of those bonus point questions on the CREOG exam, too, if you can remember all the criteria. So you have to diagnose antiphospholipid antibody syndrome with one of the following clinical criteria, which include either vascular thrombosis or a pregnancy morbidity of some kind. And the pregnancy morbidities are one or more unexplained deaths of morphologically normal fetuses after 10 weeks gestation by ultrasound or direct examination, one or more premature births of a morphologically normal neonate before 34 weeks, due to eclampsia or severe preeclampsia or recognized features of placental insufficiency such as growth restriction, or three or more unexplained consecutive spontaneous abortions prior to the 10th week of gestation with maternal anatomic or hormonal abnormalities and paternal and maternal chromosomal causes excluded. So again, one of those clinical criteria, as well as laboratory criteria, one of these must be satisfied as well. So a lupus anticoagulant present in plasma on two or more occasions, at least 12 weeks apart, an anticardiolipin antibody, IgG or IgM isotype, in the serum or plasma present in medium or high titer, again on two or more occasions, at least 12 weeks apart, 
or an anti-beta-2 glycoprotein antibody of IgG and or IgM ice type in serum or plasma in a titer greater than the 99th percentile, again, present on two or more occasions at least 12 weeks apart. If patients do have antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, they should be treated with heparin and low-dose aspirin. We'll review those one more time in the summary because it's a lot to catch. It is. Um, the next thing you should think about are those anatomic uh, abnormalities. So uterine anomalies should be screened for with a hysterosalpingogram or a sonohistogram. The other things that we can think about would be things like inherited thrombophilias, but you really only need to screen for these if there is a personal history of venous thromboembolism or a first-degree relative with a known or suspected high-risk thrombophilia. Finally, hormonal and metabolic considerations should be thought about, including screening for thyroid disorders, diabetes, hyperprolactinemia, um, and for these, you'd use your hemoglobin A1c, your TSH, and your prolactin. And then finally, for any patient that's gone through the trauma of recurrent pregnancy loss, you should always offer psychological counseling and support. Again, even though the TLC wasn't a randomized trial, it certainly suggested some benefit, and I think most patients also appreciate it when they're going through this workup. Absolutely. So Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this topic. Let's go ahead and summarize. So we started off by saying recurrent pregnancy loss was defined as two or more failed clinical pregnancies, and a clinical evaluation can proceed after those two first trimester losses, though ideally a threshold of three or more losses should be used for epidemiologic studies. We also went through a lot of reasons of why it happens, and there is a lot of things that can cause recurrent pregnancy loss. Those things include a genetic abnormality, antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, anatomic abnormalities, hormonal or metabolic abnormalities, and possible thrombophilia, maybe psychologic, or even personal habits. However, most couples that have recurrent pregnancy loss actually have unexplained RPL, and that's about 50 to 75% of these couples. We then talked about some things that are controversial or things that don't cause recurrent pregnancy loss, including luteal phase defect, male factor recurrent pregnancy loss, or infectious causes of RPL. And finally, we talked about how to evaluate patients with RPL and what are your most high-yield workups. One of those is to do a karyotype for both partners to look for balanced reciprocal translocations. We also talked about antiphospholipid antibody syndrome with the diagnosis by one of the clinical criteria as well as one of the laboratory criteria. And again, those clinical criteria are either a vascular thrombosis or a pregnancy morbidity defined as one or more unexplained deaths of a morphologically normal fetus after 10 weeks of gestation, one or more premature births of a morphologically normal neonate before 34 weeks due to eclampsia or severe preeclampsia or recognized features of placental insufficiency, or three or more unexplained consecutive spontaneous abortions before the 10th week of gestation after ruling out maternal anatomic or hormonal abnormalities as well as paternal and maternal chromosomal abnormalities. And the laboratory criteria are positive lupus anticoagulant, anti-cardiolipin antibody, anti-beta-2 glycoprotein antibody. And remember, you only need one of these to be positive on two or more occasions at least 12 weeks apart. Finally, we talked about treatment of APLS with heparin and low-dose aspirin. The final considerations for a workup of recurrent pregnancy loss include anatomic considerations, including screening for uterine anomalies, inherited thrombophilias if there's a personal history or first-degree relative with known or suspected high-risk thrombophilia, 
hormonal or metabolic causes, including diabetes, hyperprolactinemia, hyper or hypothyroidism. And then finally, it's important to offer psychological counseling and support for patients undergoing the RPL workup. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you like the show today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, on Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee, and if you're a big supporter of the show, go ahead and sponsor us on Patreon at patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee for a shout-out or some cool swag. Need some notes for today's episode or any of our past episodes? Head on over to our website, CreogsOverCoffee.com. If you want to send us an email or if you're really passionate about that luteal phase defect, let us know at CreogsOverCoffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.